So this morning I want to preach on, uh, I've entitled it, In Case of Storms, you know, Break Glass. So it's the, when, the, when the waters of our life get a little choppy. Anybody ever been through some choppy waters in your life? Had some, had some. Oh, well then we're done. <laughs> this message not needed apparently and we're just going to eat. Praise God. You know, sometimes we're going to see storms in our lives. And it's, it's not a, you know, will I ever see a storm in my life? You're going to see storms in your life. And that's, it's going to happen to everybody. It's not just certain people, but everybody will see storms in their life. And the truth is that, that there are multiple kinds of storms that we're going to deal with in our life. And I, I praise God that the, the answer is always the same. But some storms are just storms. You know, sometimes there's literal storms just like the weather in our life. Like when people are, are dealing with stuff in these, like right now, the people back in the, the Midwest and, and back East are, are, are having some really tough times with the weather right now. The, 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 the snow has been out of control over there. And they're going through some rough times. But that's just that's part of life. Sometimes in life you go through storms. What about maybe when, when a loved one passes away? And that hurts. That's hard for us as we go through that. And I thank God that we don't mourn the same way that the world mourns. But nonetheless... That's a storm that we're going through in our life. But that's just kind of, that's a storm of life. That's sometimes we have to go through storms and it's not the devil doing it to us. It's not anything else other than it's just part of, of being human. It's part of living. Sometimes we have to go through, as Pastor Andy Elms preached on our corridor of faith, some things in life are, we're going we're gonna to walk through and push through because it's, it's how we grow. It's, it's how we, we get pressed against. Like when the wind presses against a tree on a mountain type and it strengthens as it grows because sometimes we have to walk through that corridor of faith. We have to continue to trust God and have our faith be strengthened. And then sometimes in life you're going to go through a different set of storms or the ones where the enemy is attacking you or the enemy has something against you. I know that the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy, and that's what his, his sole purpose is. And you know what? When you're walking with God, when you're serving God, his attacks are going to come more frequent and they're probably going to be more difficult because he doesn't want you to succeed. He wants you to fail. He wants you to give up. You know, sometimes the enemy might send people to disrupt your life. You ever know that we see that God sends people in our li- in, into our lives to touch us sometimes? I mean, you know that the enemy is going to send people as well. The enemy wants you to fail. And I can't stress that enough that, that your success is his, is his greatest failure in this current time because he can't win. He's already lost. Jesus has completely defeated him. So the only thing he can do is bring people with him. And the only way he can bring you with him is if you give up on God and turn around. If he makes you fail, if he makes you give up. What about sickness in our life? Sometimes sickness comes into our life and and sickness is a result of the fall. Sickness is a result of the enemy. Sickness is always of the enemy. God never sends sickness to try to help you grow. God is never going to give you cancer so that that way that you can grow in your faith. That's an attack of the enemy. And the next one are kind of the the worst storms, I think, at least to deal with, because they're pretty much your own fault. You know, some storms are of your own doing. Let me give you an example. If you show up to work 15 minutes late every single day, and you get fired for it, how many know that's not the enemy attacking you? 
This isn't a test of your faith to see if you can grow strong in the Lord. This is your own dumb doing. You, you didn't show up to work on time a week in a row and you get fired. That's a, that's a storm brought on by your own doing. Or what if you're smoking 20 packs a day for your whole life and you get lung cancer? You know, you know that was going to happen. That's part of your own doing. Now don't get me wrong, I thank God, even in these situations, if we will repent, we'll turn back to God. God is still there for us. You know, God never really is in the, in the position of saying, well, you made your bed sleep in it. God is always there to lift up His chosen people, even when we do it to ourselves. And I thank God that He is still faithful in those very moments. See, the truth is, the answer to all of our storms, each and every single storm, no matter how they come at us, the only way to combat them and the only way to persevere through them is the Word of God. Matthew seven twenty four through 27 says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And when the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. The truth is that, that no matter when the storms come, if your foundation is solid, you're going to make it through. But if your foundation is weak, if it's not based on the word of God, then we're going to fall. The first scripture that I want to dig into this morning is Matthew 8, 23 through 26. And it says, When he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being covered with the waves. But Jesus himself was asleep, and they came to him and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? And he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. I often wonder about this storm because Jesus is just sleeping through it. I mean, they say it's a pretty big storm. It says that the, the boat was being completely covered by the waves. So obviously it's a pretty big storm. And the truth is, the disciples, most of them are fishermen. They, they, they've, I mean, they've seen a few storms in the Sea of Galilee when they were out fishing. They've, they've dealt with a few and, and they probably have a good idea of what's going on. But then on the other hand, you have Jesus sleeping through this apparently incredibly bad storm. So one of two things has happened. One, the disciples are just overreacting. They're, they got a little scared over nothing. But I doubt that's the case. I mean, these are, these are pretty uh, seasoned seafaring men. And it also says that these waves are pretty big. I mean, it was, were, the, the boat is being covered by waves. You guys ever seen uh, any of those shows like when they're out there, uh, what's that... Uh, deadliest catch have you seen some of the storms that come in and how bad those come in like i'm thinking a storm way worse than that in this little sea of galilee but jesus is sleeping through it how can jesus sleep through this i mean the boat's obviously getting rocked i mean bed's turning sideways how is he not just rolling off the bed or something but it's because he has peace he he knows in whom he trusts he knows that god is there for him but I think that we can oftentimes feel like the disciples felt. Has anybody ever felt like when they're going through a storm that God is sleeping? Anybody else? I've, I've felt that way before. When it just feels like everything's falling around beside me and, and I'm like, God, where are you at? And I think we've all been there. 
But the truth is that he's always there. But I, what I find even more interesting is that when they go down there and wake him up and say, God, what are you sleeping? You're sleeping. Wake up. Do you see that we're, don't you know that we're perishing? They ask him. And he gets up and when I, I find humor, says he doesn't deal with the storm right away. The first thing he does is not to rebuke the storm. He rebukes his disciples. He says, you of little faith. And gee, I mean, Jesus is asleep. He's probably groggy. He's a little cranky. You ever, you ever woke up your spouse and they, they want to yell at you when they're a little cranky? I wonder how this, this went. But he says, you have little faith. The truth is that in this kind of situation, and I would like to think in this kind of situation that I'd be fearless. I think, I mean, we look back and we're like, man, these disciples, what wimps. I mean, Jesus is with them. Why would they even be scared? Like, if, if that was me. And I was in the boat. I wouldn't even be worried about it. I'd be like, Jesus is in the boat. I'm good. And that's the way I'd like to think. But how many know we'd be just like these disciples? We wouldn't be fearless like we think that we would. And we can know that because there's been storms in our lives when the truth is Jesus was always in the boat with us. Jesus was always there with us, but we still got scared. We, we began to cry out, where are you, God? He says, you have little faith. He got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. See, the real question in our life is, is how do we react when storms come in our life? Do we act with fear and doubt like this, these disciples here? Do we act with, with fear and we just run scared? Or do we stand in faith? And the truth is, sometimes you need to stand up and rebuke the wind and the waves. Because it's his life inside of us, his authority. If Jesus could stand up and do it, so can we. Because we can say, in the name of Jesus. And it comes with all the authority if Jesus were to say it himself. The truth is that we just need to trust God in these situations. Stand against what's coming. There's a story of a Christian army officer at sea with his family in a storm. And they come into a terrible storm. And he's got his wife and his children with him. And his wife is starting to get scared as the, the storm becomes getting, getting very, uh, the, the boat is tossing and turning and waves are coming over the side and the wife begins to get upset because this Christian army officer, he's standing there at peace. He's not concerned, he's not scared. And she gets upset and she says, why are you not upset? Why aren't you afraid for your family's life? Why are you, not, why are you so calm? And she gets upset with him. And after nagging him for a little while, he walks into his, his cabin and he comes back out with a sword and he takes a sword and he sticks it to her breast. And she looks at him and she just smiles. And he goes, woman, aren't you afraid that you have a sword at your heart? And she goes, no, not when it's in the hands of someone that I love. And he goes, then why would you have me be afraid? of the storm that is definitely in the hands of God, my Father, the one who loves me. And I think that's something that we have to remember, that, that God is, is, is looking out for us. He's there with us, and he's never going to let us perish. He's always in the boat with us. Jesus is always right there beside of us. When our faith is rightly placed in God, when our faith is in the one who loves us, then I think then we can stand strong that, that we can be at sleep in the boat just like Jesus. Amen? In 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18 it says, Therefore we do not lose heart, but 
Though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. You know, what I find is strange is, I guess not strange, but Paul refers to the storms in his life as momentary and light. Can you imagine? I mean, you've, you've read a little bit about Paul's life. Can you imagine considering what he's gone through as momentary and light? I mean, some of us have gone through some rough stuff. But I think for the most, especially in America, for the most part, when we look at our lives, we've kind of had a cakewalk compared to, to Paul. And truthfully, the same as some of the saints in other countries. There was a, an old lady once asked, she said, what is your favorite scripture? And she said it was, it, it came to pass. I said, it came to pass? Why is that your favorite scripture? She said, because it's, it doesn't say it came to stay. The truth is that our afflictions are momentary and light. And we take a look at Paul's life. I mean, his in 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 27, it says, it says, <clears throat> in far more labors and far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers amongst false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. That's a pretty long list of, uh, of uh, momentary and light afflictions. Those don't seem momentary and those don't seem light to me. But Paul says, I consider them momentary and light. And why? Because they're producing in us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. When we persevere through then the eternal glory that we're earning, the, the, the end game, the end of the line is worth so much more than we're ever going through right now. Matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians 1.8, Paul said, For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. Paul had some situations where he was despaired even to the point where his strength couldn't hold him up. He had to rely on God or he wouldn't have made it through. Yet he knew that in these things that he was growing, that it was producing in him glory that was beyond comprehension. So the question in our life should not be, where is God when it hurts? But rather, where am I when I hurt? The mark of maturity in a Christian is not freedom from pain, but it is total trust during pain. It's not easy, but it's real. And it's this attitude that is in this attitude alone that will allow us to continue to grow in truth. And it's this maturity that we can have that'll strengthen us for life. It'll strengthen us in our ministry. Having the same attitude that Paul had, going, no matter what I go through, no matter what might happen to me, I know that it's going to be worth it in the end. That it's that this is actually helping me to grow and strengthen. This isn't weakening me. This isn't the end of me. No matter what problems come against me, this is not the death of me. Even if what you're facing could cause physical death, 
It's, it's not something that can end you for life. This, this time that we spend on earth is such a short time compared to the eternity that we're going to spend with Jesus. In 1 Peter 3-9 through 9, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, which you believe in him, and you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible, full of glory, outstanding is the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls." See, our inheritance is worth so much more than the temporary pain that we might be going through. The revelation of Jesus is worth so much more than the temporary suffering that we might be going through. In the first part of the sermon, what I'm really wanting to to do is put in perspective what we're going through in our lives, the suffering that we feel that we're, that, not that we feel, that we may actually be going through, these storms that we're going through, the choppy water. The truth is, that's real. We deal with those things. But it it helps us if we can put it in perspective with what we're actually going to receive one day. And don't worry, as I get farther along, we're going to spend some time in how we can actually deal with these troubles that come our way and what's the the godly way to handle them. But right now, I want you to, to recognize that no matter what comes against us, it is nothing in comparison to what Christ has done for us and what he's done in us. No matter how hard life is, no matter what comes against us, no matter what comes against us, this can't be taken away. Our inheritance is reserved in heaven for us. He says that through the resurrection of Christ from the dead, we obtain an inheritance which is imperishable. It is undefiled. It will not fade away. It is reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. What this means is that. No matter what, no matter what the enemy throws at you, no matter what storm you go through in life, no matter how bad it is, as long as you'll continue to trust in God and put your faith in Him, this cannot be taken away from you. And that is incredible news to me because no matter, no matter even when it seems like that, that God is not there, that He's sleeping, that He's somewhere else, the truth is that He is there and He's, he's reserving for us a place. He's reserving for us an inheritance that cannot be stolen away no matter what comes against us in our life. It says right here that, so the, that if, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found a result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, I think it's, it's, a, it's a great analogy that he's using here is that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire. You know, that's how they purify gold, is they put it in a furnace. And they, they, they put it in the fire to, to make the impurities rise to the top. And those are scraped off the top. And what you're left with is a more pure gold than what you've started with. 
And like a goldsmith who is refining gold in the fire, God will never let us be burned up. I'm going to know that if you're refining gold and you leave it in the fire too long, you can burn it up or if the fire is too hot, you can burn it up and it's completely ruined and worthless. But God, just like a master goldsmith, is never going to let you stay into a point where you'll be destroyed, where you'll be burnt up completely. Because he's always there for you. And the truth is that our faith, as we go through life, our, the, the expression that I've heard used is faith untested, is faith untrusted. A number of years ago, researchers in Illinois placed a number of young trees in a greenhouse. One group was supported by a stake. They were tied up to it. A second group was left to grow unstaked. And a third group was, <clears throat> was left unstaked, but manually waved back and forth for several minutes every day. At the end of several months, the three groups of trees were measured for growth in height and trunk diameter. And the stake trees were the tallest, but they were the weakest. They had the smallest trunk diameter. And the unstaked trees were intermediate in height and trunk diameter, and many were not growing straight. The unstaked trees that were waved back and forth each day were the shortest, but had the greatest trunk diameter, and thus were the strongest. This research showed that when you plant a tree, it should only have enough support to allow it to stand upright, let the top of the tree wave in the wind, and to promote the development of a strong trunk. And we're not so different than these trees. If we go through life, and that doesn't make the, the wind any more enjoyable, it doesn't make the, the, the choppy waters any more pleasant, but if we go through life never facing them, then we never grow. We never strengthen ourselves in the Lord because we've never ever had to trust God. It's easy to say, I trust God when everything is going great. Because the truth is, a lot of times we, don't, we feel like we don't need Him at that point. You know, when everything's going perfect, you don't need God to bless you because you have everything you already need. You don't need God to get you through a tough time because you're not having any tough times. But it's in these moments... And like I said, the storms come for many different reasons, but it's in these moments that we are strengthened and that we grow. We're actually being made stronger to the point that the next time the devil can even throw something harder at you, but you're going to make it through because you've been strengthened. Your trunk diameter has been solidified and is stronger than those who have not been tested. In Philippians 4, 11 through 13, Paul says, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both having an abundance and suffering need. Anybody want to know what that secret is? Anybody would like to have a little insight on what that secret Paul is talking about? It's right here. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Contentment is not a result of having all the stuff that you need. Contentment is not a result of, of not having any trials or problems in your life. Contentment is not a result of having all the money in the world or all the cars or the best job or even a, a great family and great kids. Contentment, none of those things can bring you contentment. Basically, all the things that this world puts up as, a, as the measuring stick, the yardstick of what of a good life is, none of that stuff can bring you contentment. All you have to do is just ask any famous person in this world and ask them, are you truly happy because you have all this stuff? Some years ago, Jim Carrey was asked uh, you know, how, was, how everything was going and what did he want most because it seemed like he had everything. And he said, you know, what I want the most is love. 
Because even though he had everything that he wanted physically, he didn't feel like anybody loved him. And the truth is, the only way that hole was going to be filled is through the love of Christ. Because the problem is, the love of people is fleeting and temporary many times. People will hurt you. God never will. God will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. The truth is, contentment comes as a result of recognizing that we have all we need in Christ. Before Christ, we're always searching for something. We're always looking for something that can fill that void inside of our heart, that, that peace that we know was missing. We just didn't know what it was that, that always led us searching for more stuff. We always think, well, if I'll just get this next thing, then I'll finally be happy. If I just finally get a, a wife or a husband, I'll, I'll be happy. If I just finally get this next car, I'll be happy. If I, if I just get this next, the next great phone, I'll be happy. But the truth is that that brings you fleeting happiness, but never long, long-term contentment. Because we're always looking for the next best thing. The only thing that can fill you on the inside is the love of Christ. The secret of living filled and hungry, the secret of living in abundance and in suffering is Christ who strengthens you. In his autobiography, Just As I Am, Billy Graham recalls a story demonstrating that true greatness is not divine, defined by wealth or fame, but by character. Some years ago, Ruth and I had a vivid illustration of this on an island in the Caribbean. One of the wealthiest men in the world had asked us to come to his lavish home for lunch. He was 75 years old, and throughout the entire meal, he seemed close to tears. He said, I am the most miserable man in the world. He said, out there is my yacht. I can go anywhere I want to. I have my private plane, my helicopters. I have everything I want to make my life happy. Yet I am miserable as hell. We talked to him and prayed with him, trying to point him to Christ, who alone gives lasting meaning to life. Then we went down the hill to a small cottage where we were staying. That afternoon, the pastor of the local Baptist church came to call. He was an Englishman, and he too was 75 a widower who spent most of his time taking care of his two invalid sisters. He was full of enthusiasm and love for Christ and others. He says, I don't have two pounds to my name, he said with a smile, but I'm the happiest man on this island. Billy Graham relates how he asked his wife Ruth after they left, who do you think is the richer man? She didn't have to reply because they both already knew the answer. You know, we listen to that guy, he says, I don't have any money. And we think of that as a storm in our lives. His wife had passed away, and we see that as a storm in our lives, yet he was still content. He was still happy. How many of you know that, that not having two pounds to your name is difficult? How many of you know not having the money that you need to buy food and all that stuff is difficult? How many know having your wife pass away is difficult? Yet he says he was the happiest man in the world, because it's all a matter of perspective. And the man who had everything from the outside looking in, wasn't going through any storms, had one of the greatest storms that any of us could even see in his heart, raging. Like I said, sometimes in America we view lack, we view times of lack as great storms in our lives. In America, most of us have never really known lack, though. Particularly any kind of lack that we could really consider a storm in our lives. Now, don't get me wrong, I know there are some who are really hurting and don't have anything and, and they're dealing with some terrible times, but for most of us, you know, we, we think that, that not being as rich, rich as the next door neighbor is a terrible thing. I've only got a, I've only got a one-story, two-bedroom house, but everyone else I know has got a four-bedroom house. This is terrible. 
But the truth is that, that we have it really good. This for his first sermon in an elementary preaching class, Lawrence, an African student, chose a text describing the joys we'll share when Christ returns and ushers, ushers us to our heavenly home. He says, I've been in the United States for several months now, he began. I've seen the great wealth that is here, the fine homes, cars, and clothes. I've listened to many sermons in churches here too, but I've yet to hear one sermon about heaven. Because everyone has so much in this country, no one preaches about heaven. People here don't seem to need it. In my country, most people have very little, so we preach on heaven all the time. We know how much we need it. You know, they're, they're realizing that, that the end goal, what we have coming, is worth so much more than what we're dealing with right now. Our inheritance should always put what we're dealing with in perspective. You know, Paul is someone that I aspire to be like. I look at his life and I'm like, this is the kind of godly man that I want to be. He, per- he persevered through storms. He kept his eye on the, on the prize. He kept his eye on Jesus in his exceedingly successful work on the cross. And he kept his faith in God no matter what he was dealing with. And the truth is, he even recommends that we imitate him as he imitate Christ. But he's definitely a man that I want to be like. Keeping in perspective what I'm going through and in light of what Christ has actually done for me. So what can we do to help ourselves work our way through the storms in life that we're going through? How can we persevere through these storms when the wind and rain is beating against our door? The first thing is we need to rejoice. In Philippians 4, 4 through 9, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication... With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. These things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. First thing is we need to rejoice in the Lord always, no matter what we are going through. And the first way that we do that, the first thing that we have to to get a grip on is taking every thought captive. Because the truth is, when when rough stuff is going on in our lives, the first thing that we want to do is is start to focus on those bad things. And we let those thoughts run rampant in our mind, and it begins to to bring us down, and it takes our thoughts away from God, but, but firmly on the problem. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says that we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Every thought that pops into our mind that goes against the word of God, every thought that causes anxiousness and fear, every thought that is like that, that is not aligned with the word of God, we need to take captive and expel them from our minds. Next he says that we need to rejoice in the Lord always. And why do we rejoice? Rejoice. Rejoice. Because it's good for us. It is good to rejoice. And we don't rejoice for the things that are, that are bad in our lives. That's, that's stupid. That's ridiculous. You don't rejoice in saying, oh, oh, thank you, Lord, that I've just lost my job. This is amazing. Oh, thank you, Lord, that I'm not feeling well. Thank you, Jesus, that I'm, that I'm really, really sick. I mean, that's, that's nonsense. That's not why we rejoice. 
We rejoice in spite of these circumstances. We rejoice for what he's done for us, what he's accomplished through us. We rejoice knowing that there's no storm in this world that can be thrown at us, that can take away what he's done in us. We rejoice for what he's accomplished in us and not for what we're dealing with at the time. And then the next thing we have to do is we have to deal with anxiety. It says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be be made known to God. Anxiety is a killer. Anxiety is about is being worried about an unknown outcome. In First Peter five seven, it says, "Casting all your anxiety on Him, because He cares for you." We're to cast our anxiety on Him when we're going through a storm. Just give it to God. Say, Father, I just thank you that you love me enough that you're not going to let me perish in this storm. I thank you, Father, that, sh- that you are going to pull me out of this on the other side. Father, I thank you that I'm going to grow in strength through this. Father, I thank you that you're dealing with this problem right now with, with, with praise and thanksgiving. We continue to, to talk to God and trust Him. And the truth is, when we have anxious thoughts in our mind, instead of with prayer and supplication, giving our anxiety to Him, when we have those in our minds, it makes it difficult to rejoice. You can't rejoice with anxiety in your mind. The truth is, focusing on God produces peace. Where does it say that here? It says, And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and minds in Christ. When we keep our focus on Him, when we allow Jesus to rule in our hearts, then we can have His peace inside of us which makes it possible to go through every storm, no matter how bad it is, much like Jesus continued to sleep through that storm because he had the peace of God inside of him. We can have that same peace inside of us. If God is for us, who can be against us? Amen? I have to pick it up. Psalm 50.15 says, Call on me in the day of trouble. I shall rescue you and you will honor me. And in James 5.13, it says, Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. You know, we need to call on the Lord when we're in, when we're in trouble. The Bible says that we have not because we ask not. If we're dealing with something, we need to talk to God about it. And there's nothing that is too big or too small that God, would be willing, that God is not willing to deal with. I remember times in my life when I'd, be, I'd have something small going on and I didn't want to bother God with it. Anybody ever not wanted to bother God with something? But the truth is, God wants us to call on Him. He says, and then He says, I will, I will rescue you and you will honor me. He says, is anyone among you suffering in James? And he must pray. You know, God wants us to talk to Him when we're going through stuff because He's a friend and He's our Father. And he's the king of all kings, which means he has the authority to deal with whatever we're having trouble with. So the question is, who do you call on when you're in a time of trouble? You know, we teach our kids to call 911 when there's an emergency. But we haven't spent the time to teach ourselves to call on God when there's an emergency in our lives. I was... uh, reading an article about uh, one time in British Columbia, this lady called 911. There was a fire on her house, in her house, and it was getting worse and worse, and it was getting close to the propane tanks that they had stored in their garage. So they called 911, and she got this message. We're sorry, all of our operators are currently busy. Please hold on the line, and the next available operator will be glad to assist you. This was 911 she called. So she went, well, this is 911. They're never busy. I must, have, I must have dialed the wrong number or something. So she hangs up and she calls 911 again. 
and she gets the same message. We're sorry, all operators are currently busy. Could you imagine that feeling of, of your house being burnt down, everything's on the ground, and you're trying to get help out there, and they're too busy to help you? So then she calls the regular operator by hitting zero, and they finally get her in touch after many delays and, and trying to get her in touch with people. They finally get her in touch with the fire department, and they come out there, and, and they do what they have to do. And the fire department was shocked because, like, that line's not supposed to be busy. But you know what? I thank God that whenever we call on, on the Lord, He's never too busy for us. You're never going to hear from God, sorry, I'm too busy assisting someone else whose problem might be a little bit worse than yours or who got here first. The truth is that, that God is inexhaustible and His mercies never end and His ability to, to help us and, and talk to us and work with us are never depleted. So never feel like my problem is just too small. I don't, he doesn't have time to deal with that. Or never feel like that if you ask God to help you with something that, that might seem small to you that if He does that, He won't have enough left over to help somebody else who really needs it. And the other question I ask for you, it says that, that we're the call on the Lord, that we're going to trust on Him. How do, you, how do you develop trust with somebody? The only way that I know is you develop a relationship with them. You know, a lot of people have trouble trusting God and calling on Him because they don't know them. They don't, they don't know Him. They don't know that He loves them and that He, that he wants to help them. Even, even Christians that know enough to be Christians, they still don't truly know who God is. Whenever in trouble, I'd encourage you, call on the Lord, because He is faithful to be there for you and to hear your prayers. In Psalm 42.5, it says, Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him for the help of His presence. And then in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, it says, In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you and Jesus Christ. I've entitled this one, We Need to Give Thanks and Pray in our times of need. And I, I find this one great because I believe this is David speaking. And he's saying, why are you in despair, O my soul? Guess who David's talking to? He's talking to himself. How I many know sometimes you've got to preach to yourself? Sometimes you need to take the Word of God and preach it to yourself. When you're going through a trouble, if you're, if you're feeling sick, you say, you know what, uh, self, the Word of God says that I am healed by the, by the, the stripes on Jesus' back. You say, self, he loves me and he cares about me and he's never going to leave me and forsake me. Sometimes you need to preach to yourself. And, and David says, oh my soul, why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. He was reminding himself to, to hope in God, to continue to trust God and to praise him. He was telling himself to praise God even before his help came. He says, I shall praise him again for the help in His presence. Just the recognition of God's presence can be a great comfort in our times of need too, and our times of choppy water. And then the next one it says, in everything give thanks. And this is a strange one because many times this is interpreted for everything give thanks. And that's not what it's saying here at all. Like I said earlier, you don't want to be thanking God, thank you Lord that my, my child is in, the, in intensive care. That, that's just a silly thing to say to God. Because God didn't put him there, and it's not a good place for him to be. We never thank God for what's going on, but in all of these things, in spite of our circumstances, we continue to thank God. If the car breaks down, we thank God for the years 
that it served you well, and we thank God for the provision of a new one. If someone passes away, we, we thank God for all the years that they were alive and all the time that we got spent with them, and we thank God that we get to see him again one day. In every situation, there's always going to be times that you, there's things that you can give thanks to God for, not for the terrible situation, not for the storm, but definitely for the work that he's done in you and the promise of his provision. The truth is, this is all just a matter of perspective. If you choose to view things in a different manner, if you choose to view the things that God's done in you and for you, you'll be amazed at how much, uh, how much, uh, how much less impact a storm can have on your life if you'll just continue to trust in Him. Next thing we should do in times of, of, of struggle is sing praise. Acts 16.25, it says, But about midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. I'm always amazed at this story every time I read it. And I know this isn't the first time I've preached on it and definitely won't be the last time because this, this story blows me away. These guys are in prison. They've been in prison wrongfully. They've done nothing wrong and they're thrown in prison in shackles and chains. And I know if that was me, I'd be like, God, how could you be doing this? How could you let this happen, God? What am I? I mean, I'm out here serving you. I'm doing exactly what you told me to do. I'm, I'm being faithful. And I hear, God, what is going on? I don't understand. But instead, they just begin to praise God in spite of their circumstances. They had the opportunity to complain. They had the opportunity to blame God. Matter of fact, from the outside looking in, many of us could say that they had the right to blame God. But thank God that they're mature in their faith and they continue to trust God through all things. And they begin to praise Him. And we know the rest of the story. They begin to praise God and an earthquake came in and the, the walls, the doors all opened and all the prisoners were free to go. We know that a move of God happened in the time that they were, they were praising Him. And we go, well, of course that happened. This is a book of the Bible. That, but that only happened back then. But let me read you this story about... Uh, I'm not sure the exact date, but it was during the communist rule, which would have been between 1974 and 1991, uh, and the Ethiopian communist rule. And it says, Aberawada worked with Christian youth in the southern part of Ethiopia during the time of communist rule, which was 1974 through 1991. It says he reported the following story to a fellow missionary, John Cumbers. He says, word came from the command commandant that the party leaders had studied my report about the work among the Christian young people. The authorities decided I had to be executed because of my treasonous words. The only way you can overturn the sentence, said the commandant, or commandant? How do you say that word? Commandant? The commandant is for, <clears throat> is for you to deny that you are one of the believers. What could I say? I told the commandant. If they execute me, I will be immediately with the Lord. The com commandant replied, that's what I expected you to say. As I waited execution in prison, my Savior gave me songs to sing I had never heard before. He turned me into a composer. My fellow prisoners and I reveled in the joys of praise to our God. The guards kept trying to silence us, but with the threat of execution hanging over us, why should we keep quiet? Seven men had come to Christ in that prison, and we all sang together. One particular guard took delight in mocking us, yelling at us, and insulting us. He would put filthy words to the tunes we sang. One night he patted his revolver and promised tomorrow morning at this time you won't be in the land of the living. 
Just after midnight that evening, a tremendous storm burst on the town and the prison. Huge hailstones fell and wrecked several roofs, including the one where the insulting guard was sleeping. He became terrified, pulled out his revolver, and shot at random into the darkness, using up all the bullets he had promised would finish us off the next day. One by one, the roofs were taken off of the commandant's house and the offices of the chief judges, the administrator, and his deputy. The prisoners in cells 3, 4, and 5 got a good soaking from the rain, too. We were in cell 1, and we were kept dry. There were a lot of wet and unhappy people in Yavalo that night. At 9 o'clock the next morning, while expecting the cruel guard to fulfill his promise to shoot us, we observed a remarkable sight. That same guard was pushed into our cell without his uniform by the commandant, who was whipping him with his belt. Other people in the background were yelling, We told this man to leave the believers alone, but he refused, and so God has sent this terrible punishment on the town and prison. He deserves to be given some of his own medicine. After some time, the guard was released and given back his uniform. He told us, I know that the Lord was with you. I know the way I should have treated you, but Satan persuaded me otherwise. Please forgive me. We did, and several more men came to Christ in the prison. This just happened a few years ago, less than 20, 30 years ago. This, God does not move differently in the times of the, Old, or the New Testament than he does today. God is with us the same as he was back then. It's actually amazing to me the similarities in this story and the ones that happened to Paul and Silas. But the truth is that they praised God. They knew they were going to be killed. And I thought it was funny. It's like, well, we're going to be killed anyway. Let's just give it all we got. I mean, that's the attitude we should have in storms. doesn't matter how bad it's going to get. I'm going to praise God. And I think if in times of trouble, if we would just begin to praise God, we'd see so many more breakthroughs in our lives than when we sit and complain. If we would just praise and worship Him in our times of storms, the breakthroughs, the breakthroughs, the breakthroughs that we would see would be amazing. James 1, 2 through 4, it says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect results, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Consider it joy is harder said than done, I think. But I think the first thing we need to recognize is there's a difference between joy and happiness. And it's true, there is. And there's nothing wrong with happiness, don't get me wrong. I like being happy just as much as anybody else. But happiness is the result of your circumstances. You know, if someone brings me an ice cream, that makes me happy. You know, when, when Michelle got her car fixed and we didn't have to pay a deductible, that made me happy circumstances can bring happiness and there's nothing wrong with that but joy comes from trusting in the lord joy is in spite of your circumstances joy is the result of a god who loves us and the work that he has done inside of us and the truth is those things can't be changed by your circumstances the reason that we count it joy is because in these times we can strengthen our faith by trusting in Him. It says here that when you encounter various trials, know that the testing of your faith is producing endurance. And if you guys know, if any of you have ever done any research into working out, when you, when you lift weights, you're actually tearing the muscles or tearing the, the muscle fibers in your muscle. 
And that's the reason why you get stronger, because as they're torn while you work out, they grow back stronger than they ever were before. And I found out that the reason why you, you get in shape when you begin to run, if you, if you start to run, you have a hard time breathing at first, and it's really difficult. But the, the reason you get in shape is because after some time of putting your body through that stress, your body grows new blood vessels and capillaries in your muscles. And it's able to deliver more oxygen and more blood to your muscles. And that's why you no longer get winded. That's why you can run longer and farther. But it takes that stress, just like in working out your muscles and just like in running, it takes that stress for your body to grow stronger. And as it does, it, it gets easier and easier. And the, the same thing happens when we go through trials is our, our faith is stressed and it's strengthened as we go through it because we find that if in this situation I can trust God and He pulled me through it, when the next situation comes and it's even bigger and harder, we know based on experience that we can trust God and He will get us through it. And our faith has been strengthened and grown. And it says in this way, it has its perfect result in us so that we may be complete and lack in nothing. If we trust in God and our faith is strengthened, we lack in nothing because God is always there because He promised that He would be. Amen? Romans 8.18, it says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Once again, we find that nothing that we face in this age is anything compared to the reward we shall receive. And I thank God that it's not just at the end of our life that we receive this reward, but God is faithful in, in giving us even part of that now. We can trust God to, to be active in our life and, and not just have heaven one day, but even have heaven today on this earth. Amen. And the final scripture that I want to look at today is Romans 8.28. It says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. You know, I, I take great solace in the fact that no matter what the enemy throws at me, even what the enemy means for harm, even what the enemy means to destroy me, God can take that very same thing and, and make it work for good in my life. And I want us to make sure that we're not, con we're not uh, misunderstanding the principle here. The truth is that this doesn't mean that a Christian can live any way that he wants can do anything that he wants, and, and if his world starts crumbling around him, God's just going to make everything all better. This is, this is about people that, are, that, are, that, that love God, those who are called according to his purpose. When you're walking with God, when you're, when you're walking with him, and you're loving him, and you have a relationship with him, and you're walking according to his purpose, no matter what happens, no matter what the enemy throws at you, he's going he's gonna to make a show of the enemy. The enemy is just going to look foolish. Sometimes I wonder why the enemy keeps trying when every time he comes up against a, a, a godly man or woman and he tries something and it just makes them look foolish and they become stronger. But the truth is that sometimes people give up. That's, that's why he keeps trying is because sometimes people give up and they turn away. And he's successful in making them fall. But I thank God, knowing that if I'll keep my faith in Him, I'll keep my trust in Him, in my storms, that I will continue to praise Him, that I will give thanks in all things, that God will make everything work together for my good, and He'll do the very same for you. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and uh, stand to our feet.